0: Mayday. This is a call to all you educators out there. It's time to shift our schools. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools Podcast, Episode 7 How Do Adults Learn? Welcome everybody to Shifting Our School podcast episode 7 and we've got a great lineup as usual of people joining us here today. Uh, Today's essential question is how do adults learn? And for the first time on our podcast, we're leaving the international world and we're heading back to America and Jeff uh, Nugent is here helping us. How are you tonight, Jeff?
1: Doing great, Jeff. Thank you.
0: And uh, so what time? It's 7 a.m., right?
1: 7 AM here in uh, Richmond,
0: Virginia. Excellent, and David Carpenters here as usual. How are you today, David?
2: Doing well, doing well. It's nice to to uh, be connected back to Virginia and my friend Jeff there in Richmond. So, looking forward to a good conversation tonight.
0: Yeah, and this will be good. We'll have two Jeffs on the. It'll if that's not confusing enough, I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, I think this comes at a good time, especially for this topic, the CCQ, comes for a good time here in the international world as we're getting ready to go to the Irocos Conference next week and really focusing on professional development and how adults learn. So, David, why don't you go ahead and kind of frame what tonight's show is and we'll have Jeff kind of add his thoughts and we'll get into a good
2: conversation tonight. Definitely, definitely. Um, when we think about our pro- professional development, so often we're, we're very busy in our schools trying to Put a plan together and do the right thing as instructional or educational technologist um, working with our our teachers and sometimes we get moving so fast we forget to sit down and think about who they are as learners and definitely adult learners have different characteristics than our children that we 're working with, um, but the bottom line is we want to provide differentiated instruction just like we would for our students and and uh, having spoken many times with Jeff uh, Nugent, um, he works at the Virginia Commonwealth University as an instructional technologist, where he works with professors. Um, he works at the Virginia Commonwealth University as an instructional technologist, where he works with professors. Getting some feedback there.
0: Yeah, somebody has the has the feed running on um, the on deck website have to shut um, off the – there it is. All right. We're good. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Sorry.
2: All right. So I just figured uh, Jeff would be uh, excellent to bring on and, and talk about adult learners, and he's doing a lot of work there um, building uh, learning communities, which is a, is one of the, the areas that we talk about a lot in our show. And as a little bit of an introduction, it's interesting how uh, Jeff and I became uh, connected and became friends – I was at the University of Virginia back around 2000, 2001 uh, in their instructional technology program and one day w- uh, one of our professors came in and said, uh, uh, doc- it was Dr. Kinsey, came in and said, David, I received this email from uh, someone in Shanghai who's an international educator that wants to learn about the program. And so she gave me the information, and I contacted Jeff, and we began a conversation. He wanted to learn more about the program. And before I knew it, uh, Jeff and I were kind of switching places. He came to Charlottesville, Virginia, and uh, my wife and I and our two children, we moved not quite to Shanghai, but to Hong Kong International School. And ever since then, we've been um, uh, part of our own learning community and staying connected, and and uh, uh, learning from each other. So I'm, I'm really excited that he's here with us tonight and can help us uh, answer this essential question of how do adults learn. So, Jeff, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, David, and uh, thanks, Jeff. The the connections, I, I think, among the three of us are um, a little bit uncanny in a way. Uh, I mean, I was at uh, Jeff w- when... Uh, you know, I'm reflecting back when we were out on uh the Shanghai American School Pudong campus, probably oh geez, now ten or eleven years ago when it was pretty much a seawall and a big pond full of mud. And they said, Oh yeah, the school is gonna be out over there
0: uh, <laughs> I can't imagine. And, uh, I really can. not You
1: know, and uh and then, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of years later there was uh all these uh very American looking houses and uh, uh you know, a golf course.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine so. being here when you when it was just still a mud puddle. I mean, it's so big, you wouldn't recognize it. You really wouldn't.
1: Mm. Well, we- that's true if you leave for two weeks.
0: That's true. When was the <laughs> last time you were back to Shanghai?
1: We left in in two thousand and two, so it's it's been over five years. Yeah, and- yeah.
0: You wouldn't recognize it. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't recognize not. my way home on a Friday night, so it's, it's
1: the way it goes. Yeah,
0: it's a crazy question. Well,
1: yeah, I hope that's for you know construction reasons. Uh, yeah, well,
0: tonight it, tonight it took me an hour and a half to get home. Traffic was really bad. I didn't know if I was going to make it in time for the podcast.
1: Wow. So. Well, hey, I'm 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 really glad to be here, and I think you guys have have um, picked a pretty complex topic, as uh, always, to invite some discussion conversation on. I'm not sure. Um, I'll be able to necessarily answer um, as many of the questions perhaps as, as, as pose more questions. So um, if you want, what I can do is just start off with a little bit of what I kind of do here um, at the CTE, at Virginia Commonwealth University, talk to you a little bit about what I do with faculty in terms of uh, technology, program development, professional development for faculty, um, raise a few questions about adult learning and then see where that takes us. That sounds um, great. Sound good?
2: Yeah, sounds um, great. Yeah, go for it.
1: All right. Well, here at the CTE, the Center for Teaching Excellence, we provide um, kind of professional development for faculty, both in terms of instructional practice, as well as uh, specifically using technology to support teaching and learning. So we cover a gamut of programs and support and uh, learning opportunities for faculty at VCU. Uh, specifically in terms of the technology stuff that we do, um, it it needs to be bud-based from my perspective. Uh, I mean, we're in a little bit different environment here, obviously, than the K-12 setting. Uh, but I still think that when you start talking about technology, that uh, it needs to be multifaceted. You have to have an uh, an approach, I think, that Uh, addresses a lot of different kinds of learning opportunities in terms of their design and structure and organization. So we go all the way from like something that would be informal, like brown bag lunches that are just maybe an hour at a a clip that are informal and attempt to address things that we see as compelling or emerging in terms of technology. Uh, We run a wide range of of workshops here um, that attempt to address that. Uh, Those are a bit more formalized. Uh, We deliver all the training and uh, professional development for the learning management system here, which is Blackboard. That takes up a chunk, um, as well as introduce other kinds of technologies that uh, we Think are of interest to faculty to integrate into their teaching, social bookmarking, blogs, wikis, etc. You know the you, you know the drill there. Um, then we also run uh, programs for faculty. Uh, for example, uh, we've been conducting a tablet PC program for faculty uh, for the past two years now, and. The way that these work are, are cohort-based models, and we found that to be actually a very um, interesting and effective way to bring faculty together. Uh, we bring them together in a group. They apply to participate in a program. Um, it's structured. We meet periodically over an entire academic year um, to introduce both tools as well as discussion of instructional practice and efficacy in terms of like, so what's happening in, in your classroom? Um, I'm going to circle back to that notion of a, of a cohort and why we think that that's something that's been quite effective here. Uh, we run a podcasting program. I just started that this uh, spring term. And we also, as David mentioned, um, engage faculty in what are called faculty learning communities. And these are on a range of topics. Um, I run one on using technology to enhance teaching and learning Um, would be really interested in talking more about that if you guys are uh, because we think that it impacts faculty in a way that perhaps the hit-and-run opportunities if you will like these brown bag lunches or workshops I think tend to be one shot off opportunities and then we run institutes which are kind of week-long events in the summer for folks. Um, so that's kind of like the menu, if you will, of things that we try to offer here
0: uh, now are, are and are with you varying geared... degrees of success yeah. Are you geared to students at your university, or are you geared to uh, for professional development of teachers who are already in the classroom?
1: We work with faculty from across the university, so our center doesn't really um, address uh work in terms of training and de- you know, developing courses for students, we work directly with faculty and at VCU, there's about, Oh, all said and done, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,500 faculty members.
0: Wow. So when you say you run a podcast session or a podcast yeah. stand, is that, so are you, you're teaching professors how to podcast their sessions, their classes? Correct. Oh, cool.
1: Well, Yeah. Correct. I mean, I think that, um, one, we have a, I, I started a podcasting program and the, the program model, Jeff, is intended to, to bring folks together around some, again, essential questions. And the, the cohort approach here has proven to be, I, th- I think, um, most effective because, you know, I'll go back to, um, your recent, uh, post this week out on the thinking stick, uh, you know, taking risks and and i think that we'll head that way in the conversation today a little bit perhaps which is you know when we ask faculty members to use technology in teaching we're asking them fundamentally to take a risk right and what comes along with that we think you know i mean there's there's some fear associated with that obviously there's vulnerability and um one of the things we found to be pretty effective is bringing folks together in groups because in at least here uh, in a higher education environment, faculty, the work of individual faculty, I think can be very isolating and they don't have a lot of opportunities all the time to come together as a group and simply talk with their colleagues about how are you using this? Uh, how is it impacting your students? And having a conversation is something that's, uh, we found to be incredibly valuable to their development. So,
0: well, and, and I think that's the same everywhere. Uh, you know, is if you can get teachers to come together, if you can find that time to get teachers to come together and just have a conversation that it's so powerful, it's so powerful. Uh, you know, in my last, I don't know if you read the the last thing I posted was I did a professional development session yesterday and it was again on taking risks, me personally taking a risk on how I run my own professional development session. And, uh, what I did is set up a, a chat room and basically just invited people to watch some videos around technology, education, you know, they weren't even dealing directly with technology, just around education and being creative and taking risks and allowed people to just chat in a chat room to each other in very, in a very uh, professional way. And, and I found it very powerful. I couldn't get them to tell me if they enjoyed the chat room. But the content that when I went back and read the chat, the content that they were explaining and the thinking they were doing around, you know, what they were watching, what they were thinking, how that applies to their classroom and to their students, I thought was very powerful. And, again, you know, it's it's creating these opportunities to allow people to learn from each other.
1: I think that's uh, a huge, huge factor there, Jeff. And, uh, you know, the question becomes, Okay, so you engage them in that moment. How perhaps at a, at a smaller institution or a school, um, like sustaining engagement is a different question. But, I mean, we have a real challenge in terms of sustaining engagement. So you get their interest here. You captured their attention. And so how do you, how do you grow that is, is always the challenge we face. So how, how, how do you do that? How do you grow that?
0: I don't know. You know that I that's a good question. Where do you find the time?
1: Yeah, t- so time is time is a huge issue and you know it comes back to this idea that um again this cohort based approach uh like I got 15 faculty members currently uh who are in the tablet PC program. Uh, we meet uh once a month. Come together, share experiences, uh, showcase a few tools. Perhaps in, in, in the fall semester, we met uh, twice a month. In the spring semester, faculty are now coming back saying, "Here's what I'm doing in my classroom," and they don't all come, uh, but they do come as colleagues. And there's some, you know, there's a different level of ownership that's there in terms of how they engage, ask questions think through how they're using it in their teaching and, you know, have conversation and discussion with each other. It's, it's challenging to sustain that.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: but we're finding that, you know, the cohort based stuff tends to, tends to support that.
2: Well, it sounds like Jeff though, you're, you're making this systematic. Um, it it sounds like they can opt in or out or maybe give us more information on that. But if, if you start making it systematic and we bring in that huge, uh, quantity of of time and, and how to make it a bigger quantity uh, for this type of learning environment where people have time to reflect and in this sense come out of their isolation and go wow this feels good to share ideas and and to shine a little bit that i tried something new i took a risk and it worked or maybe it didn't work really well but the people in my cohort are going to help me do better with it next time and if that's a systematic system and before you know it a year or two from now it can slowly become part of the culture but then that comes back to the the vision in and the in the uh leadership of the university there and supporting what you what you're trying to do so I, I think that's the key is the systematic nature of it and then just the creativity and energy that comes out of it because you know we see these sessions and just like jeff uh utech was just saying uh that people get can get a lot out of it as adult learners when they bring it back to their own learning and they can bring it back to their own experiences as, as adults do so much and they, then it becomes meaningful for them.
0: And I would just ask Jeff, are your teachers do your professors do they is this a a requirement that they take one of the classes or is it completely voluntary? This
1: is completely voluntary. Hmm.
0: Everything in terms
1: of uh, in terms of any of the you know professional development kinds of opportunities that we offer that i that I mentioned are are completely and entirely volunteer I mean a lot of the times um, you know technology can function in a lot of different ways I think to bring people to the table to begin to even talk about teaching and learning I mean sometimes it 's a carrot you yeah. know? Um, and you get to bring them to the table to have conversations about how might this technology really uh, enhance learning and in, in support your teaching? And so you give folks, um, you know, toys to play with and then engage them in more meaningful conversation. So sometimes, you know, that brings people to the table. Uh, with the faculty learning community, which has been a really transformative experience for me, is a, is a small group of folks who... Uh, met over again biweekly we're in our second year of of meeting biweekly it takes time and change i think is really really slow uh and i think one of the things that we do in these kinds of environments is create opportunities for people to take risks in a way that is a little that mitigates the fear a little bit And provides Mm -hmm. them with an opportunity that that I think they can come to value a little bit more. Um, That's what I think is at the heart of of really engaging the largest band of, I think, mid-level adopters, if you will. The early adopters, like, I don't think really necessarily need us for all that much. It's the much wider band of folks who are kind of dancing around at the edges, kind of wondering what to do
0: and let's let's talk about learning communities a little bit cuz it's been interesting to watch as as even conferences have started to create these communities around a conference you know i know q set up a ning site and for the learning 2.008 conference we run everything on a ning site where we try to create this community around professional development and it's interesting because you're talking about doing the same thing on a local level you know, how – I mean, and you have some experience with that. How do you do that? How do you start to create a learning community that fosters this professional development within a organization?
1: Yeah. Again, touche with the tough question. Um, <laughs> I, think, uh, <laughs> um, I, I think that, <laughs> you know, building community is, is tricky business in – in higher education, I think we face a, a little bit of a, of a different set of expectations that are set up for us here than perhaps in a K-12 environment. Let me try to illustrate that a little bit. I think, you know, one of the things is that faculty members, as a result of their own professional training in an academic discipline, have uh, been expected to be highly uh, successful as an individual, as an expert, to demonstrate expertise. And so collaboration and coming together, I think there's an added challenge for that because uh, that's not part of the training necessarily. It's more about uh, individually-based research, a research agenda service that they have to do in their own specialized teaching. And so bringing folks in higher ed to come together to have uh, inter- Disciplinary conversations uh, is always, I think, what we try to do here at the center is to provide that interdisciplinary space on the campus to the university where faculty members from across the university can come participate and connect with colleagues that they likely not ever have an opportunity to engage with. So that's like, you know, the first step is having a space where folks can come. And I think, you know, you're mentioning that Jeff, a parallel to that is having that virtual online space where people can come. Um, Our center functions as that kind of space, I think on our, on our campus. And then we try to bring people in when they have their first contact with the center through a workshop or an informal thing or uh, a, a consultation with one of our staff members Um, and then they begin to become repeat customers, if you will, you know, they come back and explore and they want to get engaged in perhaps some kind of program or an institute or a faculty learning community. And, you know, for us, it's a really grassroots operation. We have, uh, interconnected cells and nodes, if you will, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, where we have pockets of communities that, that grow and, that kind of stuff here at an institution the size of VCU. I mean, we've got thirty-five thousand students, and again, over three thousand faculty members, twelve professional schools. So, building connections across all of those different um, silos, if you will, is is a is a huge challenge for us. So, yeah, and I um, thought
0: I had it tough with you know five hundred <laughs> teachers on two campuses, K twelve. <laughs> that's that's just skilling. And it's funny, and maybe yeah. David, you know, in a K twelve setting, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. what I hear Jeff saying I can relate to in at my high school teachers specifically is that they're yes. very yes. you know, high school teachers are very much Shh. into their content area. And it's hard to get them to co- to come together in those communities that are cross content. You know, I don't have that problem so much in elementary school and a little bit in middle school. You know, middle school teachers are, are usually more hmm, – how do I say this with being political? Are usually better at uh, being cross-content friendly and integrating across con, uh, content areas. What I find in the high school is high school teach, and I don't know why, and I, I know I'm making a huge generalization here – but i find on the most part that high school teachers they you know they know their content they want to be in their content and they i have a hard time building those communities to get them to cross disciplines do you find that too david yeah. is that
2: yeah that's that that is that is the case and i know in speaking to different middle school administrators, that when it comes time to bring in new teachers, if they have the choice between an elementary person wanting to move up or a high school person wanting to move down, they want to go with that elementary person for just what you were talking about, the, the collaborative background and the, and the cross-discipline nature of their uh, their usual, their college experience, where those of us that started in high school we majored in that in history or science or math. Where the elementary teacher majored in, in across the educational spectrum. But you know, When they teach that one class, they're teaching everything. Um, so I, I, I do think that 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 is the case, and it it's in our hands to try to figure out ways to. I always come back to that term culture. How can we we change the culture? And I think one of the things when we get to how to make the shift. That big show we're going to talk about, is, as we've all said, hiring the people that you bring in and that are definitely there. And then uh, for the people that you know can potentially be there, giving them as much time and support as we can to help them um, be open to working with other people and being comfortable about it and, and figuring out what makes them uncomfortable. And, and then as the theme we, we've hit on the last few shows, being ready to take those risks. Which, which leads leads me to ask um, uh, Jeff Nugent here. We were talking the other day about this fear factor, and it was very insightful what you were talking about with Web 2.0 and just looking at the variety of tools that could be thrown at uh, teachers and, and just how overwhelming it is and how can we... Is IT people do a better job in working with where teachers are starting as adult learners? They want to start where they're comfortable, uh, but then help move them along with the knowledge that we can really raise their fear factor if we're not careful. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, um, when we talked about, uh, I I mentioned to David uh, in a a previous conversation as we uh, were kind of preparing and doing a little bit of think through for for this talk. Um, You know, I mentioned to him, you know, we always go back to like Malcolm Knowles, his notion of andragogy and the adult learner. And one of the things that I think uh, is is valuable and that we value about the adult learner uh, is this drive. And I don't think it's absent from any learner, actually, is a drive to to be Mm -hmm. self-directed. And the importance of kind of valuing that desire to have some element of of self-directing your learning. And one of the things that I did mention to David is we try to translate this. You know, I I wondered what – so what would Noel say about, like, you know, what's going on with with Web 2.0? Because I think uh, what's happened is that it's been made quite complex for us, even those of us who – I think sit and stew inside of web two O and the tools, there's just been a, a, an explosion of, of tools over the past, uh, 18 months at a, at a a dizzying pace, really that I think even makes those of us again, who, who are in it overwhelmed. And I think that makes even, you know, this whole notion of being self-directed in this context, even more complex. And so, Mm. uh, I think that it, it takes folks even further out of a comfort zone. How do you choose? Um, how do you choose a, a, a tool that you might be interested in using to support teaching and learning? I think that the array of options is is staggering at times. So I think this elevates a, a, a notion of discomfort, of uh, perception that the quote-unquote natives know more than than I do, uh, that I'm vulnerable. Uh, that it's way outside my zone of expertise, and it hints at really a, just a huge uh, power shift, in, in in my opinion. So, how is it that you know we are able to support some self-direction while minimizing some of the some of the fear? Um, I don't know. That's that that's a thought I just uh, pitch out there. I guess.
0: Yeah. No, I like it, and I, you know, I keep thinking about as I watch conferences happen this this past year, and it's really been going on for about I'd say the the last two years of how conferences are are starting to be these community builders, where. It's much like you're doing at Virginia, right? You have a physical space for people to come together. They start those conversations, but yet we take it into the virtual world and we build these communities around the conference. You know, we did that last year. That was our that was our attempt last year at the Learning 2.0 conference. Was we set up a Ning site because we wanted to bring people together before the conference, during the conference, and create the community within Asia that last. After the conference was over. And at that time we didn't know we were going to do a second conference. We just, you know, we're throwing this out there and see if it was going to fly in Asia. And I think that's what, what conferences are becoming as you watch other conferences, especially in the United States, that you create this, this sense of community by, by having a location where people could come to physically get connected, create that community, and then allow that community to grow in a virtual world Where as people get comfortable with it, they'll come back. You know, you're talking about 3,500 professors who have a physical place to go, get comfortable with it, and then create that community that allows them to communicate either via Skype, via Twitter, via email, whatever it is, but create that, that community of learners within your, within your organization. And I think that's a good model. I think it's a model that can work for sure.
1: Yeah. To add to that, Jeff, I think that that notion of uh, the physical space is is building the initial connection that then kind of uh, sustains in uh, interconnected uh, virtual space on the network. I uh, obviously I, we're preaching to the choir on on that one. I think many of the listeners are you know doing some head nodding right about now. But one of the things I think also is that. We're asking folks to also make this shift, at least the faculty I work with when we talk about uh, these kinds of social networking tools that we see as very powerful and transformative. uh, The whole notion of being open, public, shared, collaborative, generative, and and participatory uh, is, is tricky business, and not everybody openly embraces that. Uh, at least a lot of the uh, faculty members that I engage with. I mean, I, I go back to like something like Delicious, which for me is just a hugely powerful and valuable tool. The, the underlying process of being able to connect with others, share resources, and generate learning streams, if you will, through the use of Delicious in an open, public, collaborative way is is not something that... A lot of folks immediately see the benefit of. We're asking them to engage in in some participatory learning and participatory culture, and it's it's not uh, prime time for everybody. It's, what What are your guys' experiences with that?
0: Go for it, David.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm, I was just thinking about. I want to jump in about pre-service teachers and I'm just if this is one of those generational things that the more this generation now this web 2.0 generation who who are in the universities and they're coming out as pre-service teachers they're used to sadly sharing everything I was in here with my advisory group the other day watching the PBS series of growing up online and the incredible things that kids are putting out on their MySpace accounts and just sharing so much. This is kind of taking us off on a tangent, but it does tie into the, the current generation being comfortable in doing that, where, especially if you look at professors who are, as, as you characterized, Jeff, in a competitive world and the experts, and you've kind of got your turf, and you've got your turf over there, and we're in a way competing for tenure. It's it's just a difficult environment, and I, and I do feel for you, and I feel much more comfortable in, in my nice... K-12 environment, thank you very much. Um, but and in dealing, and dealing with how to break down those barriers, I, I, I think it's in front of you. What you're doing, the step-by-step work in, in, in building, um, offering these opportunities, and by word of mouth I'm sure these profs are telling other people about, I picked up some some great instructional strategies, and you know, you're at a more of a research university. If you were at a liberal arts school, I bet you it would be a lot easier what you're trying to do. Um, that would be be very different. Well, let me let me ask you on that note because it, it does tie into pre-service teachers as your days back at uh, UVA when you were a graduate uh, assistant there, taking your classes, but also teaching pre-service teachers and the Curry School, where we were, was um, highlighted in uh, Edutopia, the GLEFF Foundation um, website, not too long ago, as a very progressive school that was teaching uh, these students to use technology and information literacy, and just make it a part of their part of their teaching. And I'm just wondering, uh, what was what was some of your experience in working with those young adult learners? Um, and, and their characteristics.
1: You know, David, excuse me, the, um, the Curry school experience I, I think is, is unique and interesting. As you know, uh, the, the leadership there in terms of the presence of the, uh, center that they have for technology and teaching, uh, I think is instrumental in what happens with, with Curry and the outreach from that center to individual faculty within the Curry School, again is a, is a model that's not present at a lot of colleges of, of education. So I think that that first and foremost one of the things that uh, really supports a valuing among the professors that are there in the School of Ed. Uh, and their connection to that to that center. So that's, I, I think, significant. Uh, that center provided an opportunity for the graduate students to come together in a space. Uh, and each of us had a, a subject matter area, science, education, history, mathematics, education, humanities, uh, et cetera. So everybody had a, a subject matter area where we worked with the pre-service teachers and we're able to have that very interdisciplinary uh, connection that I think is is sustained today in in some ways from the the students that emerge from that program. Um, to get at your question though about the use of uh, technology with the students with whom we worked, I mean everything was well. First of all. So much has changed since then, too. So um, how they're engaging with it now, I think, is a little bit different. But, uh, for example, in science education, which was my area, uh, we worked with um, students to use, first of all, technologies that were that were grounded in um, some appropriate uh, pedagogy. And that seemed to be a, a little bit of a driver there in terms of... Uh, shaping the choices of tools and i i want i'll circle back to that one in terms of a blog post i want to recommend out there at the end of the talk but uh you know we did things with developing say the digital microscope at the time like uh there wasn't a widespread use of wikis uh and now i look back and like Wow, I mean, so much has fundamentally changed. Uh, we did some early work with with blogs. Blogger had just, you know, become this thing that was like, wow, look, look what you can do with with blogs. So we mm-hmm. engaged students in in blogging. I mean, this was this was five six years ago. Um, we had uh, a real interest at the time in in digital storytelling and ran one of the first institutes for local teachers as an in-service professional development opportunity during the summer where we worked with over 20 faculty members from, you know, Albemarle County. So, I mean, there was the foresight, I think, on the part of the leadership coming out of the center to engage both the graduate students and faculty in the Curry School, and that bled over into how we were able to engage with students in the program. And so that's Mm -hmm. a pretty – Comprehensive, uh, coordinated a- a approach as far as schools of ed are concerned. Yeah, does that kind of get at what you wanted, David? Yeah, it
2: it, do- it does because because for the big picture of what this podcast is all about, getting the right people in the seats in our schools, we're going to need institutions like the University of Virginia and, and William and Mary. I know they they've got some great leadership there with Mark Hofer now in the IT program. Um, at, That's what we're going to need. We've we've got to get the people with the training who come in uh, and are ready to roll and then become our early adapters. Well, they probably will lead us in being more early adapters. So I just think that's one of the the major things that needs to happen to help shift our schools is our our undergraduate uh, pre-service and our graduate education programs need to do more of what the Curry School is doing. So, yeah, that does answer what I was asking.
0: Well, and I think too, you know, what you're going to find is you're going to find a generation that's used to being connected. And I think more than anything, that's what I find about my teachers. It's, it's, there's two parts. One is this, this knowing how to connect and understanding how to connect. I mean, I still have a lot of teachers. Every teacher carries a cell phone in here in China, but very few of them actually text message. And so there's this whole connection piece that I think, uh, and it, it might be generational. It might be just those in education don't see the need to do it. Uh, you know, we'd rather search for Google and find the lesson plan rather than get into a conversation about how that lesson would look in your classroom. And I think yeah. that's one part of it. I think the other part of it is is that we this generation of of teachers and of educators, we are very afraid, and I say we, um including my my own generation in this we're we're very afraid about going public with information and i don't know where that where that comes from you know these generations that are coming up and if you look at our kids they're into facebook they know, they know how to connect they understand that there's a profile thing here going on you know in facebook it's how many friends do you have and there's this whole friend race and part of that is understanding that there's a social presence there you know it means something to have 500 friends in facebook and you understand what it means to be somewhat of a public figure. When we start doing things as small as it seems delicious, you become public because everything you are bookmarking is public to the world. And I find a lot of teachers who don't want to take that jump. They don't want to be public. And even some of our, our IT teachers who, you know, are integrationalists at you know, middle school, elementary and high school don't see that need to be public and have that presence. And I'm not saying you need to be, but if you're going to join a community, a community that's larger than, you know, what you can get in your own school, you have to be willing to be public at some, at some level in order to open up. So those connections can be made. And I think I, I'm hoping, excuse me, I'm hoping that that's part of it, that even if these teachers, even if new teachers come into our schools and they don't understand the technology, that they've been raised to understand that it's okay to be public. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's so funny because everything that the news is telling us is, you know, you know, make sure your child you know what your child's doing on Facebook and make sure, you know, they're chatting to, and yes, we need to be careful about it, but there's also a a huge positive side of this about building communities, building around learning conversation. I mean, we all know it, right? We're in this. And my hope is is that they understand it enough on a fundamental level that when it people even come to them, you know, it's okay. Today we're going to set up, a website I mean I have te- I have teachers who don't want to set up a website they like edline where where the parents have to log in to see information they don't like having a website that's that everybody in the world could potentially see there's a public issue there there and I, I think it's generational and it might be as some mm-hmm. people are saying in the chat room it might just be educators maybe we don't like that maybe we want to shut mm-hmm. the door be in our four walls, pull the curtains down over the windows, and just let me be in my in my room. Maybe that's just what you know the type of people that go into education maybe that's who they are
2: that's a, that's a great point and and that's 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 a big discussion point right there I've already got two future essential questions out of the last ten minutes so so great ideas guys
1: you know jeff i w- I would add to that um notion that, you know, about connecting that, um, yeah, we, we want the students to come in, uh, obviously, um, knowing how to do that, and perhaps they will. The, the thing that you mentioned in terms of, you know, the fear to overcome that, um, I've been thinking a lot about lately how people are are coming to the table with their own mental model of of what it means to actually do that. And I think you kind of touched on that a little bit. And I'll try to illustrate my point here with with an example of uh, blogging, for example. Uh, I've gotten to the point where, like, I hate using the word blog uh, because as soon as I mention that to faculty members, they already come to the table with this, like, preconceived notion of what it is. It's like, oh, I have to spill my... Innermost secrets, like an online journal, uh, to everybody. And I don't really like that. I don't want to do that. Um, but if uh, to, to steal from a, a, a colleague whose name is Jim Groom, he 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 talks about blogs as uh, let's just call it an academic publishing platform. And then all of a sudden, like, oh, people are willing to like have a conversation about how the, the functionality of the tool can be really pressed into the service of some, of some cool learning and exchange and connection. It's, it's, it's tricky business, I, I think, in terms of how we as the early adopters around some tools engage, talk about, we generate language and discourse to describe that. But then like there needs to be some backward translation that attracts mm. other folks And I don't know – like the tricky part of it, I think, is that we're learning, I think, intensely as we go along. And as we look backwards, if you will, at the folks who are, say, just coming to Logging Now today for the first time, um, when you've been involved with it for several years, uh, what's the backwards translation and how do we engage them in a way – in a, in a new fresh way that lets them see the connective potential, but not necessarily the, the preconceived notion of, Hey, this is just an online diary. That's my metaphor. And I don't want to do that. Um,
0: yeah, no, you know, I, I agree completely, Jeff. What we did at our school is we have teacher blogs, right? I mean, it's running WordPress MU. It's a blogging platform, I mean WordPress is the blogging platform but we call them websites and that's what we've called yeah. them and teachers have, right. have have been okay with that if if we don't yes. call them a blog they set up a website and this is the interesting piece this is the piece i like after they see how easy it is after they see after they understand that you know blogging the 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 uh program we're using is a blogging uh, program, a platform, but we're using it to allow you to build quote websites because it's just so easy to do. And if we approach yes. it like that, we have, I mean, we're, we're getting close to hitting our a 200th teacher to set up a quote website. I mean, that's about a third of our staff. That's, that's awesome. A, that's pretty that's good awesome. for our, for our first year. And right. the funny thing is though, is after they, after they get set up and they start using it, And it works all of a sudden I'll have teacher come to me and say, have you visited my blog lately? And I'll look at them and say, well, I thought it was a website. (laughs) And it's interesting how, if you can do that backwards, you know, that backwards verbiage, you get them. But once they get there, they want to call it a blog. And what I, what's been fun for me lately is really trying to define for teachers, the difference between a website and a blog. And I've actually held two professional developments to say, no, 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 what you have is a website. And let me show you the difference between a website and a blog and the power that is going to be there. And it means nothing nothing changes for the teacher because they're already using the program. They already have comments switched on. They don't have a clue what comments are. They don't have a clue how to use categories or tags or any of that. But it's all sitting there waiting for them that once they get comfortable with the tool as a, quote, website, because we've been teaching them to do websites for freaking ever – that we can make that transition to actually using it as a blogging platform and a two-way conversation and engaging the kids in the learning process. So I agree. I think it's, I think that is something we have to do. You know, we have to find the yeah. verbiage that can pull those people into this new world and take them from there.
1: I think you nailed it. And the thing that I think is crucial in that, again, that we circle around this notion of apprehension and, and fear. And if we can mm-hmm. get folks at least in the door to begin to have that kind of experience, um, then we get to get to the point, Jeff, where you got 200 faculty members, 200 teachers at your school adopting essentially a blog. Uh, I think it's that backwards translation piece where we have to look because where we stand now in the language that that we use to talk about the things we're currently doing i have found uh make the eyes roll in the head of folks i try to engage with when i talk about uh social bookmarking like even that as a a concept is like so far gone for most people
0: yeah so why would you want to do it that's what i get
1: why would you want to do it yeah (laughs) I mean, bookmarking is private. Why would I ever want to be social with it? It's something I do privately. Right. Um, yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Well, it's good. You know, this has been a great conversation. We're getting we're getting ready here to wrap it up. And you know, I don't I don't know if there's any right answer. I think we've hit on some good points, and I know it's allowed me to reflect a lot on how I approach my teachers. And again, I think it'll be interesting to watch just conferences because I think conferences are turning into this. As I as I watch conferences, ed tech conferences, anyway you know, who who allow teachers to be connected. Most ed conferences now are wirelessly connected, that people go in and you start building these communities around physical presence. So people fly to an area, have a physical start, you know, you can get people online, people start, you know, start to blossom. And then when the conference is over, you leave, but you've joined a community in the meantime. And I would like to be able to do that in our schools. You know, is there is there a time when I can have a Saturday and bring all the teachers in and really get them connected and really get them talking to each other and allow them to go out? And I kind of started that experiment this week. I I was given a Tuesday. I met with our fifth graders all day. They pushed for it. They went to their principal. They all got subs. And they said, we want to sit down with Jeff for a whole day. So they sat down with me. And at the end, it was interesting. At the end of the day, they said, okay, Jeff. What's what's one thing we need to be doing? What's on the horizon? You know, what do we need to do? And I said, what do you need to do? You need to get involved in a community. I said, you need to all start using Skype right now. And, you know, I could have gone with Twitter, I could have done something, but I wanted to build that community within the team first, and then allow it to expand. So I got them all signed up on Twitter, they are all signed up on Skype. They all have a Skype account, and within the first 2 days, it's been so interesting because I gave them my Skype account, and now all of a sudden they'll, you know, they'll just Skype chat me and say, you know, "Hey, do you have a resource for this?" when before they wouldn't even take the time to send an email but you know it's just sitting there and the cool part about these communities I think is when it's just sitting there like Twitter just sits there on my sidebar constantly and I can I determine when I want to engage with that community and when I don't want to the same thing with Ning you know Ning communities I decide when I want to go to the site and engage with that community or when I need to disconnect and I think that's what that's what's kind of cool and so it'll be interesting to see if these teachers start using it that way you know they'll I showed them how to add more than one person so if you're sitting in your classroom and you want to chat with three other of your members and the kids are in the classroom and you can't leave that you can have a a chat about what are you going to do after recess or, you know, what's the next thing that that's on our plate for the day. So it'll be an interesting, it'll be an interesting thing to see. I'll see if it works and, and, and go from there. But I think we're reaching the end of our show. That's go for it.
1: Yeah. There's, there's two things I just wanted to pitch just because you segued so neatly into it with, with your example is this one is, um, a blog post uh that george siemens put out uh just this past week uh where he raises a question really about the title is pedagogy first whatever i, I know you guys poke around in George's space and you know he raises the question do we always need to start with the question about pedagogy first i think that that's interesting because uh you know jeff you're pitching a tool skype and you're seeing what happens uh around this moment, this event where these teachers wanted to come sit down, talk, have a conversation. So to bring it back around to adult learning, I, I also and, – and I'll send a link out for the show notes. um is a piece that was done, oh, geez, 20 years ago now uh, that put forward this idea of the organizing circumstance, that there are environmental determinants that can support, like, self-directed learning. And I think that what you just said, Jeff, is an organizing circumstance—a way to bring people together. And I think that that's a theme here, both in terms of the building communities around a conference, as well as what you just did with your teach—I I think organizing uh, events that can propel uh, sustained development of communities. And I think that that's uh, really interesting. So.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it works. <laughs> Cool. I, mean, I have nothing to lose. I'm out of here. Let anyways, right? they can't fire me. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Right. So,
1: well, hey guys, I really, really enjoyed having the opportunity to uh, to chat you up. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, yes, uh, I, I look forward yeah. to uh, we'll, to we'll, other we'll, sessions, sir. Yeah.
0: Definitely. Thanks, we're Jack, not going we to let you go yet.
2: Yeah. Don't. we're, oh, we're right. going to throw out a a couple uh, other blog posts. And 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 I'll just add uh, the. Big thing I was reminded when I was at Virginia by a a fellow person in the IT program, Mark Hofer, I mentioned earlier. He said, David, you're going to use your, because I was a counselor, you're going to use your counseling skills more than anything else. And that's what we've been talking about tonight. We're talking about making those connections with teachers and really seeking to understand where each of them is coming from. What do they bring to the table? We're talking about what are their their Preconceptions about these tools. We're dealing with their their feelings in a big way, and, and the big one we're talking about is fear, obviously. And then from Jeff uh, Utech, what I'm really picking up from you is this continuum that we we take teachers along. We start off with where they're comfortable, and we mentioned you mentioned Skype in a previous show, and I was saying that's going to work for teachers because they know how to use a phone. That's part of their in their normal experience, and then you you jump from there to Twitter, the idea that, okay, I know how to use a computer and I can look over to the right and someone in my learning community, whether they're down the hall or they're in South Africa, I'm a part of that and and I can connect to them. And then the next thing is they go to a conference, but they find out there's an unconference session uh, that they're going to participate in. And then they go home and they still participate in the conference because now they're a part of Ning. And I think that's the great thing about being educational or instructional technologists, that we have the training and we're all teachers uh, knowing how to work with adults and, and their needs and taking them from where they're comfortable to that little bit of discomfort and helping them make that stretch. But we definitely have to be wary and not make those big jumps. That's where we're going to run into trouble, and I think that's been very clear tonight. So let me – I'll jump in and do my uh blog post of the week, and I just want to keep going on this Virginia connection because I'm from the Tidewater area of Virginia and haven't been back in a couple of years. Hopefully I'll we'll be there this summer. Um, I ran across a blog post by uh a, a woman who's getting her doctorate at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, and it's the, her, her blog site is called Design to Inspire – and it's a, it's a really great site in the sense that she gives her reflections about a, uh, a journal article all about how to work with adult learners. So that will be up in our, our show notes. And if folks just want to get like a, like a top ten list of when you're working with adults, what are things that you need to, to take into consideration, read her reflections, and then there's a link to a PDF of this uh, article that she posted there
0: great uh the one i chose was one that uh, that uh will Richardson wrote a while back and he got a ton of comments on it. and it's worth going through the comments and reading i think there's 130 plus comments on it now mm-hmm. uh but it was called uh ur- you know urgent 21st century skills for educators and others first and he and you know he hits a lot on what we've been talking about tonight where we you know we talk all the time about our kids but until we get educators understanding the power that these tools hold tools hold we're not going to be able to get the kids there And it's going to come down to professional development and being able to move teachers along. And, you know, I think it's a great post because he kind of goes on a rant a little bit. But the response he's got uh, in the comments are well worth your time to go through all 130 plus of them. So.
2: And I think that's it. That one's yeah, that one's made its rounds. I've got I've been there for the first 30. I've got to go back and re catch up on those comments. Yeah, next week, Jeff, you're going to be on warmer climbs out here.
0: Yes, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to be down in uh, Kuala Lumpur at the Irocos Conference. I'll be doing four sessions down there. So if you're in uh, Asia region and you're heading to Iricos, make sure you find me. We're going to be doing a live uh, broadcast from the Irocos Conference. And what our essential question will be is, how have you shifted? And what we're going to be looking for is teachers to drop by, to you know have a live scap. i'm actually going to take down uh, i'm going to take down a mixing board and we're going to have four or five different microphones set up and i just want it to be a big conversation you know people will be able to f- to come and go freely and hopefully be set up for a couple hours if i can get in between some sessions that i'm running around lunch to just kind of set up in a common area and allow teachers to a experience what it's like to do a podcast be be connected into a community that is so wonderful that we're starting to build around this podcast, and just have a conversation and look at how teachers are are changing. And it's going to be more than it, than technology, which is fantastic because it's it's an educational conference, not a technology conference. But that's kind of my goal. So stay tuned, and I'll I'll make sure I get dates and times. I'm still working with the air coast, and I'm not sure what it's going to look like when I get down there. But that's what we're hoping to do next week. So stay tuned for that.
2: That's that's awesome. Because that that's to remind folks, our our besides our big goal of how to shift, we want to celebrate uh, teachers in our classrooms and and what they're doing and the the risks that they're taking and their uh, creativity that they're displaying and in in the learning that they're focusing in on their classes. So I'm very excited to hear uh, what people have to share. So most excellent. Yeah,
0: that's great. Well, thank you again, uh, Jeff, for joining us. Again, you can find Jeff's job at technie.edublogs.org. David Carpenter, as always, it's a pleasure from Taiwan at uh, lessonslearn.edublogs.org. And you can always find my horrible ramblings at thethinkingstick.com. Thank you, everybody, for a great night. I appreciate it. Uh, until next Thanks, week, keep in those schools.
2: Yeah, thank you, buddy. Thanks, guys. It was good. Yeah, I, really, I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you, Jeff, for joining yeah. us. Appreciate you getting up in the morning. <laughs> Absolutely, I'm fun. I, I hope you're uh, I
1: hope. Felt-